Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of the Legion Tales podcast. Joined today by amazing lady, Laurie Michelle Levitt. Um, she's the author of the book, uh, Pivot to Clarity, and also The Pivot, um, which is the first book. What you're going to hear today is a, a discussion about this concept of the pivots and and the work that you need to do to make those pivots. And a lot of the times I, I in the past have seen pivot as a, an agile moment where you just pivot and you switch. But actually for most organizations, that pivot is significant, takes a while to do. And we'll talk today about some of the questions you need to answer as a leader, um, some of the skills and the mindsets you need to hold as you're going into there. For example, curiosity and coaching we're going to talk about today. Um, but for me, this is one of these significant pieces, as she says, I think it's five or six books that she's writing that are smaller pieces of that puzzle that gets you from pivoting to clarity. Um, and therefore, you know, this is the first of the conversations that we could have with Laurie around that. So looking forward to hearing what you think about it. Enjoy. Talk to me just what you're saying about you see it differently to other people on the pivoting. Let's let's just start with that. I'd love to dig into that a bit. Yeah. So the idea for this came to me in probably about late 2013. When mm -hmm. I had been through a number of pivots, um, that's not long after my final kind of big personal pivot. And I worked a lot in entrepreneurial circles where pivot is used as something that's really quick. Mm -hmm. We're going to change for pip bar. We're going to change our strategy. We're going to change our market. We're going to change this and that. And, and perhaps if you have a very tight, maybe it's just you or you have a very small leadership team, um, you could certainly start doing some of those things that you're, that are different than what you were doing before. Mm. Um, however, pivot is a significant change. That is what we mean when we say it. And so it is doing a disservice to organizations around the world and even people to think, oh, if I just decide I'm going to make this change, it should happen tomorrow. And then they give up too soon. Right. The, also, the other thing that happens is leaders don't do the legwork to prepare people to be ready to change. And that is what I that I teach. So again, even for yourself, get in the mode where you are always ready to, that you're orchestrating your ability and your organization's ability to always change so that mm -hmm. you are not the one as a leader in an organization, you're not the one commanding, oh, now we're changing and expecting everybody to fall in line. Yep. It just becomes natural there. And so that is what I work with leaders mostly on is how do you lead this culture that can always be ready to change when something happens and guess what something's always happening i love to so i love that concept because for me one of the other concepts i hold regularly is anti-fragile from uh nassim nicholas talib about mm -hmm. you know we can't predict the future so how do we get ready for whatever we're going to being all prepared for your spontaneity session is how I sometimes call it in there. Right. Another Take one is uh, Michelle Wooker, who wrote Grey Rhino, and her yeah. concept is similar in that it is what happens that we actually know mm. and we're ignoring it. Hmm. It's, it's this big rhino coming at us. We see it and we just for some reason think, ah, we can get across that or... We don't, hmm. we're, we're better than that, or we're outside of that. Hmm. And that it, and that it hits us, maybe like our government and the pandemic or, you know, yeah. you know, there are, there are, I'm sure you could look back and there are many instances. I know I did it when, um, before my personal pivot, I might still do it some in that I, I was attracting people that were not the right people around me when I first stepped into entrepreneurial and it took me 10 years to mm. figure out become, it took me about nine years to be aware or eight and a half years to be aware a year and a half to circle through it and go, Oh my goodness, what's going on. Um, but I felt, okay, this person is not a good person to be around. Mm. 
um, they, they really shouldn't have been trusted. And yet I felt I was such a wonderful model of integrity that, oh, won't they just see how I am and they will change? Yeah. Or um, I am so good at what I do that it doesn't matter that they aren't going to do what they say they're going to do because I can push through it anyway. And those were two very, um, for biz my businesses at the time, fatal mistakes. So, so let's take, go back to the beginning because we've started, and I love, I'd love to still dig in deeper into that because those, I was reading a post on LinkedIn the other day, which just hit me between the eyes, which is a lot of the times either we believe by our, our power will that we will um, take people with us, but we don't do the hard yards. You know, let's go back to the Ted Lasso comment. You don't do the hard yards of coaching the individual, the person, bringing the human being and and working out whether that's the right human being to be in the business with you. So tell us your story, Laurie. Take us back. Uh, so I call myself the pivot catalyst. And what I was describing to you is, is one of my personal um, pivots. So I realized that throughout my professional career, um, and probably even before, I've been through a number of pivots. And, you know, what do we do when we've learned a lot? a lot of hard knocks, you know, a lot of successes. And, you know, if we're the kind of person who's drawn by purpose and, and trying to understand our gifts to the world, when you have a gift of knowledge like that, how can you not share it? Hmm. And thus, I am the pivot catalyst. Throughout hmm. my career, I have been, back then, it was primarily decision support, and I still do a lot of that. But what are you what are you doing when you're in the role of decision support within an organization or even leading an organization? You are the person that is leading significant change or or influencing that significant change, providing the information and the advice and guidance that the decision leader makers need to make. Hmm. And. I helped many organizations, many leaders move through significant change, and many were considered pivots, mm -hmm. whether they were new markets, uh, organizational change, organizational change drawn on by moving through technology. I'm going to date myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, those, those were really uh, changes when I was working with the healthcare industry and moving through HIPAA. Um, privacy and security, you know, how people communicated with each other, hmm. uh, organizational changes that are how they're being with each other, similar to what Satya Nadella did with Microsoft, moving from competitive to collaborative. Hmm. I mean, that's huge. That doesn't happen right away. So helping with those, and that is what I still do. That is, you know, one of my gifts. And I had to go through, just like anyone with a strategic plan, I had to go through and determine what are the major milestones I need to do in my life to really do this in a big way. Um, and one of them was I had the wrong circle of mm. influence around me. Uh, there were some people in it that were fabulous and they're still in it. And there's some people in it that were not good influences. And I tell you, Colin, that is a very difficult pivot to make. Yeah. Tell and me a few of those just to, to come into. I'd love to get into a bit of the detail. And, I think and it one sounds of the gossipy, hardest... so I don't want it to come across <laughs> as gossipy. But it's. I, yeah. I'm, I'm always fascinated. I was doing my, um, I was saying this morning, I was doing my saboteurs assessment. And you know that they talk about your nine saboteurs and how they the voices get in your head. But it's useful sometimes just to talk through what are the voices of those bad influences or not, maybe not bad influence, but just the wrong influences, the wrong time in your life and what they're mm -hmm. saying to you. Uh, yeah. Uh, two themes. So mm -hmm. this is going to speak to all genders or mm -hmm. even those who don't um, relate to a gender. One is that I was attracting, mm, I'm going to say narcissistic type entrepreneurs. Many of them are, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. That somehow, as we went through this journey, they felt something about me and decided that I personally, I should be part of the deal. Hmm. I should be part of the partnership. Yeah. And this happens to a lot of females. Hmm. Um, happened to me over 50. You wouldn't expect it would still happen over 50. And I actually hadn't experienced it before. 
I wasn't noticing it. All I was noticing that I was being pulled down. I even had to stop a business hmm. because my lead engineer was just too, um, he was stalking me basically. Mm. He just mm. was way too attached mm. <laughs> and you just think that you could push through it. And so that was when I realized, well, one, things like this kept happening. Um, the other one was the, the ego in me and mm -hmm. you have to have that, that courage. You have to be able to be comfortable with being uncomfortable if you're an entrepreneur. So yeah. I have that and it would go beyond, beyond logic to, oh, well, I can do it anyway. Hmm. <laughs> and yep. I can do it in spite of this. Yep. And so those, both of those really caught me up. And here was the awareness I had to come to. It's not them, it's me. I mean, yep. yes, it was them, but I, I was part of all of those stories and therefore, what was I doing? How was I being um, that was allowing that to happen at all hmm. and allowing that to continue? And so I put myself through, uh, ended up being an 18-month journey and switched around probably 80% of my inner circle. Interesting. Inner circle is always an interesting word for me because I've got a few colleagues who use you're in my inner circle. And, f you know, for me, it's always it's a very personal decision, what you call an inner circle or an outer circle or a mid circle or a, well, you're close to the inner circle, but you're outside. So how do you define your inner circle for me? Just yes. And now I, I see the circles and I can visually go, oh, that person's outside. Yeah. You know, just consider Way yourself outside. taking a mug and <laughs> moving it out to a different circle and like, all right, especially if they're family. Okay. They're still in my life, yep. but they're, they're sitting outside this inner circle. And really I see that as the level of influence they have mm, over okay. your day-to-day -day decisions. Yeah. It's interesting. Somebody once gave me the expression relationships with a purpose and everybody said, oh, that's very clinical. So you, you know, even for the daughters, you know, relationships personally, but there is something about being conscious about how much energy we've got for those and whether it's feeding the right energy into us. So that's, it's, it's a tough yes. thing to say no, as my friend Leanne Davy would say, tough to say no, but she specializes in it. So yeah, it's interesting. And here's the trick to it. It, had a, it has a long tail. So if you have a, ver a person you really have struggled with, and now they're outside your circle, and yet for some reason, you're keeping them inside your circle energetically mm. by continuing to dwell on what happened, what they did, what they said, what you gave up, what you lost, um, what you missed. Yeah. And that keeps them close. That might have been even harder, you know, letting go the, the story. Hmm. Harder than the saying, I'm not going to see them as much. Yeah. Holding someone energetically. It's fascinating to me as an entrepreneur because, you know, ego is the enemy. I'm a big fan of the Stoics and Ryan Holiday and ego is the oh. enemy. So I am a, so aware about um, also being a Scottish Presbyterian. Ego is not supposed to be part of your life. You know, anything good happens, something bad happens, all of those things that go in there. But it's very difficult to um, to let the, the influence of the ego come into there because even within business partners where there's a critical person, it's almost, can I do this by myself? Yeah, without it. And you talked about decision support, which is an interesting one because it's almost feeding that that persona of going, I need support to make these decisions. How do I get that? But not being too dependent on it so that you can be yourself uh, in what you do. So talk Correct. to me a bit about that. And, and learning who to ask advice for. Yeah. So even if they're in your inner circle, like my parents, mm. I grew up very trusting. I mean, this is a good trait, right? So they're all, they'll, as you go through a journey, if any of you listening have, feel like, oh, I need to go through a journey of you know, personal uh, change, mm -hmm. there will be, you know, those in your life that 
or, or traits that you have that you want to keep. Mm. I did not want to become, mm. Colin, have you, have you been around some female executives that have risen and somehow taken on some persona that's really hard? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we do that as a protection a way of protection or perceiving that that's what we have to do to you know, shed whatever happens to us when we are our authentic selves. Mm. And I was not willing to do that. Being mm. trusting is good. How on earth can I be a good coach if I do not trust yeah. people first? And then, you know, take that time to learn, okay, our, have they proven themselves trustworthy? But mm. but I don't have time before then to decide that. Mm. Uh, staying kind, yep. staying empathetic. I mean, these are things that I didn't did not want to shed. Mm. And so, um, when I was asking for advice for one thing, so my folks are like this too, which is a wonderful upbringing. Where do, but I'm where asking them for advice. They're yeah. not too far from me. They're about a four and a half hour drive, but across no. a mountain pass. And no. my mother just recently passed away. Oh, so it's just my father now. Yeah. And he's 90, uh, but I think wow. he's going to live for another 10 years, uh, maybe more. Very mm. healthy stock. Nice. Uh, thank you for asking. And, and I remember I had someone who was changing the deal at the table. Mm -hmm. I hate that. You've negotiated mm -hmm. an agreement and they're coming to you and they're changing the deal at the table. Mm -hmm. I know better. I have advised many leaders. It's so different when you're making the decision for yourself. <laughs> and so I'm asking my parents, they're like, well, did you commit? And did you, I mean, it's just all this nicey, nicey stuff. And, and they were the wrong people to ask. So you can mm -hmm. love them, but, but choose your advisors wisely. Yeah. This, things like that are one of the things that helped me to, or drove me to start leadership peer groups. Hmm. I know I am not alone in this. Yeah. It is hard to know who to trust to help you make decisions. You need a safe place. Yeah. And the people that you trust in some walks of your life aren't going to be the best um, yeah. advisors. And, and even it's, it's a difficult one because there's this piece about not listening in your own echo chamber. So there's one is, I like this person, therefore I'm inviting them in. Then you're thinking, okay, so why am I liking this? Is it because they are similar to me? And then there's a diversity of background skills, you know, I've got my advisory board, and I've got three people, very different people in there Good. deliberately. Um, but I still question why I would invite them in for that. But then there's this piece about when I'm to your point earlier about trust, do I trust to open up to particularly if they're not paid, and it's you haven't signed an NDA, and you're just sharing what's going on. It's a difficult relationship. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, that um Seeking out diversity, again, mm. causes you to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. And what saves you is curiosity, which mm. is one thing that I see in you, Colin, that I so appreciate. Mm. And just to everyone listening, it's it will save you in so many ways. You, a leader or whomever, you, you know, you're working with someone else. If you can stay in curiosity, you can keep yourself from crying. Mm -hmm. You can keep yourself from being angry. You can keep the other person in the conversation. You can learn something that you truly didn't know because you don't know at all. Guess what? Yeah. Um, um, curiosity is just a wonderful trait. And you have to be uncomfortable with not knowing or even be uncomfortable with giving them the perception that you don't know. Yeah. Even if you do know. And, you know, yeah. and you're holding yourself out as being being curious. I love this because there's there's a piece, and again, we could we could go so many different <laughs> directions in this, Laura. So, but but there is something about when we teach people how to have a point of view. One of the core things is when you know something, and that some of the RAF groups, as I call them, that I've got involved with, somebody's come on, they they have this, well, I know all about chat GBT, you know, for example, that's come up and everybody's talking about it. And 
well, I'm teaching everybody and, and we could get in a call and I could pass this on. I literally go, no, yeah, because of the way it's delivered. However, if they've got a point of view, which is I'm wrestling with three personas here, the CEO who doesn't understand all the technology, and I'm going, oh, well, I'm that persona, that linked with curiosity about having a point of view that I'm offering that you can discuss is very different. So that link with curiosity, I find is, is powerful. When somebody goes, well, tell me what your experience is. That's why I love design thinking. You know, you leave your mm -hmm. ego and expertise at the door, start in there. So curiosity is key. How do you teach curiosity, though? How do you in your role? So curiosity is one of those traits that if you're close enough to the person and can model it, it, it does rub off. Mm, uh, one thing in our leadership peer groups, I'll give you an example of a, a man that was in the group and he was very command and control. But I can usually see before I bring someone into the group that there's, there's something other than that about them. Mm. And, and many leaders, you know, I mentioned how many females that rise in executive, at least back then, I mean, maybe that's not as much so now, mm. um, have taken on this persona that's not, there's, you know, this harder, this hard shell. Um, there are many in leadership positions of both genders who feel that others expect them, that it's a perception that as them at this position of authority, that they need to be the one that knows it all. Pointing the direction means, means giving the detailed direction yeah. and, and like that. And mm -hmm. so he was in this place, but I saw a lot more. He was also very, um, a very conservative person and so curious that I wasn't married, et cetera. So all of these things, you know, just <laughs> staying and wasn't well. coming on to me at all, was yeah. just didn't understand a woman not needing a man to lead the household. <laughs> And, and this is me just head butting the <laughs> camera. <of> my, <laughs> you know, such a dear person. Yeah. And you know, staying in that state, one, bringing someone that's so different than you into your circle, knowing you're going to be also coaching with them one on one mm -hmm. and seeing so much in them, you know, that, that, that you love about them because I, you know, I, I, end up loving in the, you know, love as a person to person yeah. way. Most of the people that I work with. Uh, um, find, I find people generally just fascinating. And anyway. it was so yeah. freeing for yeah. him. So freeing. Mm. And it's a, it's a pivot. So mm -hmm. it's orchestrated over time. You don't just get up in front of your, your team. If you've always been this way, and then change your way and expect them to go, oh, now they're asking me how I feel. Hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm just going to open up to this person. You know, it doesn't really, <laughs> it doesn't happen right away. Yeah. Uh, the transformation was just amazing. And hmm. when he transformed, his business also really transformed from being burned by debt, being he was exhausted because he was trying to control everything hmm. to really delegating to others, bringing others up in succession, uh, moving farther and farther away from being in the business to working you know, on the business. business and this yeah. is 20 million, he's probably 50, 60 million now. So hmm. not, not huge, but also not tiny. Yeah. And uh, he just feels so free. I, I love, I mean, we, we don't work together anymore, but he called me uh, during the pandemic and he just, I hadn't heard from him for, for like five years. And he said, you know, Lori, I just, I'm just driving here and I'm thinking about how wonderful it, it was. And, and I want to tell you what, what's happened from, you know, all that we did together. And that's, nice. you know, how can I not do this, right? No, <laughs> how can exactly. I not do it? I think there's something in our work, though, that is nice about this is that, and I want to say it callously, you don't really need to like the people. Um, but if if your passion and your drive for me is is about, firstly, do they want to do the work? That's my first question. If they want to do the work and they need they see a change, they need to make great, come and work. And then... For me, it's about the level they want to go to. And I always say outstanding only. You know, if you aim for good, you get 
average. If you aim for great, you get good. So I always say outstanding only. But there's a piece in there that their outstanding can be one person who's got the fear of standing up and speaking, which I have. Yeah. And uh, it's a weird one, but doing keynotes and other things freaks me out. And I get so nervous before I do them. But everybody's outstanding is different. But I think there's something about releasing the human and releasing the fear and getting people to to move forward. And I, I wanted to come to the book because it's it's a fascinating book. Pivot to Clarity is the title, but I want you to, rather than me putting in my words, tell me about it and what it's about because there's there's a framework within there, yeah, that you talk about. But like all frameworks, it doesn't come to life until you tell the stories. You can tell me a couple of stories and that'll bring this to life. Sure, I'd be happy to. And first, I should say The Pivot to Clarity is the second book after my first book called The Pivot, Orchestrating Extraordinary Business Momentum, where I introduce the term that I use, aligned momentum, which is Mm -hmm. what where I've researched and experienced, and this is the state that I see organizations are in when they make those breakthroughs in performance. And, and it's, it's hard to stay in that state. And we've seen some organizations that have broken through and performance, and then they've slipped out of the state and maybe they come back into the state, but it's certainly worth, as you mentioned, excellence is certainly Mm. worth striving for. And as a leader, if you can always be orchestrating Okay, what do we need to do next? Where are we out of, you know, where are we not being in this state of aligned momentum? Because if it's magical to mm. be in that state. Mm. Uh, one of the first aligned momentum key indicators is clarity. So the very first start is you have to have a safe place. You have to have a safe place where people can step up, speak out, and in rule of thumb is that they know that their manager has their back and wants them to be successful. Yeah. If you don't have that, then really uh, the other stages are, are not going to happen. In fact, even getting to clarity, having communication, the part where you're being clear with others, your message isn't going to land if no one feels safe. Mm. So clarity is, a critical stage. It's also one of the aligned momentum key indicators. So it had to be the first next book. And you do not have to read the books in sequence. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, there's this main big book, and then there will be six, and I've only written one of those airplane, purposefully airplane reads mm-hmm. that um, hopefully hit both heads and hearts, which mm-hmm. is what I'm, you know, that's what helps inspire change is when people feel it. And so clarity is the book pivot to clarity is split into two parts. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of my books will write answer two questions. The two questions of pivot to clarity is one is how can I, as a leader get clear for myself? Mm -hmm. And what does clear even mean when I'm getting clear for myself? Because it's typically, it's pretty easy to say, Okay, well, getting clear about something that just happens means getting to the crux of the matter. But as leaders, we're the ones that must step into the future and set a direction based on that future. Hmm. And you can't know the future. So the entire first part of my book is about how do you get clear Hmm. about the future, clear enough to set direction and what is that fine line? You know, even what is too clear? You know, what is, you're, you're missing it. You're being incremental because you're getting way too far into the details, trying to know the future and you can't. What's your view on outcomes versus outputs? Because I'm always fascinated because we're going through a strategy process at the moment. Hmm. And we could argue that actually just getting to our income number at the end of this year or profit number more particularly to allow us to break even in the headwinds we've got at the moment in the markets, that's great success. So, the, but that's an outcome, and then you get outputs underneath it. So, how do you operate with leaders when you're going through that clarity process? Hmm, that's a that's an interesting question, and I'm gonna I'm gonna compare it to measure versus metric. Mm-hmm. So, a measure is 
it's usually a point of something, you know, a unit of measure, a count of this, a percentage of this, uh, et cetera. That's, that's, you're measuring that. Mm-hmm. A metric is a combination of those that, that provide you some meaningful direction, decision mm-hmm. support, what we're talking about. I would say an output and an outcome is, is similar. And mm-hmm. an output would be one um, component of what you're looking for in your outcome. An output is a, I want to say result, but so many people use outcome and result Uh, with the same. I mean, terminology is really, is really tough. Hmm. I would expand and say an outcome is both how it is affecting you in Hmm. in a, in a larger sense, you know, Hmm. how people are doing, how you positioned yourself for a better future Mm -hmm. with that output. Hmm. I like that. It's it's interesting because I was somebody was talking about in the book analogy, and I can't. I'm going to get this wrong, but it was the principle of writing a book is a bit like driving from one side of the U.S. to the other, um, and and the analogy is the headlights. The headlights can only see a certain distance ahead, but it's enough to know whether you're on the right track. Yeah, in the dark, and I do think sometimes that we struggle for clarity. And again, this is, you know, getting yourself clear for something. The leader needs to know everything about everything. And people are saying, so what will it look like in February 24, when we get to the end of this journey? Um, And therefore, it's a difference between a sense of direction, isn't it? Mm -hmm. That you're going versus a a finite, this is exactly what we're going to have. Yeah. And when you say that, which feels inspiring? Well, for me, the sense of direction, because it gives freedom to the team. Yeah. um, Yeah. So what does a leader want to do? I mean, what hope of the leader, and I'm saying not just saying someone in a position of authority, but I would hope a leader, someone who's wanting to bring others along mm. for a better future with brilliant execution, then you want to be inspiring because you mm. don't want to always be pushing. Yeah. So just... If we could, when we go into our strategic planning sessions, just remind ourselves of that. I mean, we're not going to always be, wow, everybody's super engaged by this. And what's inspiring to you might not be inspiring to others. And I can assure you, if you just say, oh, wait, we're not going to know the detail of how people's work is done. So let's ask them what progress looks to them is a step in the right direction. Yeah. It's interesting. We're going on a journey to B Corporation. So I want to get the second question on the board. The the B Corporation is my vision. I want to make an impact in society. This is me as the owner of the business going, yeah, 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 this is what we're going to do. Come on. Um, But I had that moment going, looking around the room and going, is everybody bought into this? And everybody's going, yeah, 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 bought into it, bought into it. But but it's that question when it says, so how does it mean to you? And we went through an exercise with projects around ESG and other things where I start to realize that you've got to take people on a journey to understand your story. So I presume the second question, once you've got yourself clear as a leader is to move to how you're going to get them clear about the journey, even for that planning piece, because they could be heading south rather than across the country in terms of their understanding of what you're, you're doing. But that's, that for me is the difficult thing about being a leader. We're supposed to have all the answers, supposed to have the direction we buy a team and then they might have six different versions of that direction they want to go in. Yeah. It's true. I I say that even your best people will do what you expect and it may not be at all what you want. And we have all had that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's us. It's, Mm. it's how we're communicating and, and how we're giving those that are closer to the teams, usually Mm -hmm. called a manager, how we're giving them the time to become better communicators. So the next Mm -hmm. part of the book is about being clear for others Mm -hmm. in a way that the message lands for them. Mm -hmm. And, and if you're understanding what it feels for you to get clear, and then you are striving for that point where they actually are at that getting clear of what you're communicating, then that's golden. You want them to feel it. You want, when you as a leader have something that inspires you, and I don't know if B, you know, being a B Corp did this for you, but Mm. when it's a yes, I mean, it's like the the hairs rise up on your arm. You know, it's just, yes, I, this, this is it. Mm. And 
you want them to get there. Yeah. That's where you want them. That's commitment. That's not just, okay, buy in. I say why the, I understand why the company, you know, they're justifying it in their heads. Oh, well, if I was the owner, I guess I would want that too. Okay. I, I work for the company, so I better do this. That's, mm. it's better than, it's a little bit better than compliance. It's buy in. Um, mm. Cotter, who is a wonderful professor, has written a book on buy-in. I'm not saying it's not important because sometimes that's the best you can get. Yeah. But commitment mm. is what is going to allow you to have that breakthrough performance. That's commitment is part of being in a state of aligned momentum where others are empowered and understand what their role is in that direction and not only what their role is, but how they themselves fit mm. their role. And it's all aligned. And then they can, they can make the changes. They can tell you what needs to change in their role. And, and back to curiosity. I mean, I've been really, really good at getting this kind of, quick growth out of organizations. Like when I mentioned when I worked in healthcare and people would tell me, this is how my job has to change. And the leaders of the, those in authority, I'm going to say <laughs> the organization, were not getting that from them. Hmm. And the consultants that might've gone in, and I am a consultant too, I'm saying that there's one, I recommend all consultants try their hand at some coaching yeah. <laughs> because it really makes you a, you're going to help your clients a lot more I was um, just about to say, because I you'll help that, them make, make it through them. I think it's that borrow your watch, tell you the time and sell you the watch back was the version of consultancy that I first came into. And it's interesting because we used to joke with my friends who were lawyers that we were very close to the bottom of the ocean, you know, bottom feeders and lower and who was the lowest of the low. But I think coaching for me releases a lot of that because, and design thinking does, because you're getting in, as Brenny Brand talks about, you're getting into the arena with them and starting to to say, so what does it look like down here? What's your direction? So coaching is a fundamental principle as well as curiosity underneath the work you do, I'm hearing. Yeah. Uh, yes. So managers having the skills to be coaches is one of the aligned momentum key indicators. Hmm. And... Um, just some rules of thumb. If you've promoted someone to be a manager and they're an expert, but they, they care about people and they like the idea of building teams, then, then give them the time to, to do that. If you've put someone in a position who really doesn't like people, then they should not be in a position that influences others' careers. Yeah. You need to have an advancement track if you want to keep them. It's interesting also in that because there's a player coach mentality. I see it more and more in businesses where we're more people direct reports, you're given your own individual targets then, plus you're being asked to coach and lead people. And, and I presume that comes into the play about the pivot and, and how you get people to coach as well. I yeah. love that you said plus, and it's one of the reasons I say give the time. Yeah. When I was a manager, man, there are so many things I would have done differently. Hmm. You know, I would have insisted on carving out time during their normal work days, during my normal work day to actually do leadership. And it wasn't afforded mm -hmm. me. It, you know, you, your mini managers are part of the, the work and that's yeah. okay. We just need to give the time. They're in, they're in overwhelm. You add coaching and it really, you know, you're, telling them what to do is one of the reasons that I'm not trying to promote myself or is one of the reasons why I also built a new software that helps managers lead better. Mm -hmm. Because if, if leaders can say, yeah, we want our managers to lead better and give them this system where it makes it continuous and makes it easy for them to do, it just becomes part of the day, then they're not spending that that mind space kicking themselves going oh but i was supposed to have a coaching session with this person and i haven't yeah. yet or oh my goodness you know i need to do a performance review now this person really needs to be let go but i don't have any performance reviews all that stuff that happens yeah. when we only focus on managing work or yeah. somehow expect we manage people haha ha. 
it, and it's you know for me when it comes down to it, there's so many tools, softwares, but it's also some of the what I would call habit based work, like Michael Bungiestani is a coaching habit, how to coach in ten minutes or less. A lot of this people say, well, this seems very functional, tactical, but actually, for busy people, to have the habit structure or stacking of habits around things like. Even just a simple, I always love it. The first question is, what's on your mind? But that says it's your agenda. Yeah, it says, I'm interested in what you've got in your mind, and therefore I'm passing it over to you. The accountability piece goes in there. So it is about getting these small accountability habits, coaching habits in there that are important. Yes, and and, and being aware of what a, a manager's, and a manager could be at any level, right? Even mm. the top leadership team, anyone who is influencing the success of any other person is, yep. I mean, you could call it, you, whatever you call it, I'm just calling that person a, a manager. Yeah. And yeah, it's so important. You need to give the time. It's, it's similar. You mentioned writing a book. So when I have, like I'm doing this call, maybe I have some administrative work to do. I am not creating I mean, I can't, and if I had 10 minutes in between, I mean, after this, I have, you know, an offsite with someone, I'm not, I can't just pencil in 10 minutes to write something in my book. Mm. If it was an instructive book, just a brain dump, dump, maybe, but no, I cannot create in that time. So why would we expect a manager in 10 minutes to shed all of the, the emergencies that are on their plate to have an authentic conversation with someone to say, to ask that question you just asked. Yeah. yeah. So, so we, we need to find a way to, again, this is all part of that, the communication and having it landing we, and empathy. We need to understand what, what the day of the person that we're wanting to do something differently, what their day is like. And I'm aware of our time. And I just, I, I, we could talk on this for ages. And I, you know, if I look at the structures, so you, we've talked about coaching, but you've got other principles in talent adaptability, mastery mindset, nimble decision making. We could go on and on. And that, you know, that one of the fascinating things about this topic is when you basic, when you strip it down, we've talked about curiosity, we talked about coaching, and we've talked about doing your own work as a leader and as, as an individual to sit back. And we talked about the space and time to do that. And so I'm going to ask you the question, if, if you were to say to a leader, listening to this 40-minute conversation we've had so far, what are the core principles out of everything you do that if they only had time to do two, what would they be? What would it be? Oh, that's a really good question. Practice curiosity because it's likely going to tick off. I mean, if you, if you like managing and being productive and ticking off boxes, it's likely going to help you with empathy and listening and, and yep. um, gaining commitment and so many things that are probably on your list. Just call it curiosity and start practicing it. And what I do in the group, because we go through decision support and we go through a process where you have to ask questions of someone who's one mm -hmm. asking for decision support to make sure that you are on the same page with them before you give solutions. Okay. So it trains us to, to even if we are thinking of it in our heads as a statement, just, just start there. How would mm -hmm. I make that a question? <laughs> you know, just like practice it. that. So curiosity. And the other is, well, I'm just going to list, if you don't mind, I'm going to list three because these are what I look for, the characteristics mm -hmm. I look for, for leaders who will come into one of my peer groups. Mm -hmm. Curiosity is one of them. And I call that someone who knows a lot and is not a know-it-all. Yep. Good. Like it. And no know-it-alls make it into the group. Yep. Uh, courage. And then you mentioned Brene Brown. Uh, courage absolutely includes being vulnerable. If you're going to create a safe place, if you're expecting others to be safe, then you also need to show vulnerability. Mm, love it. And, and the last one is tenacity. Mm. So if you are seeing this vision, you're in awe, you're inspired by that, have what it takes to get through. Love Keep it. going. That pivot is not fast. Yeah. 
I think this is where, you know, the Tasty piece is a fascinating one for me because I, I do believe that people think, what are the top five things I need to do? Right, I've done them, but it hasn't made the difference. And what we're talking about is is layering habits every day. So tenacity is about, it's about almost becomes habitual so you don't think about it to get to that rather than having a checklist against that. So it's interesting that tenacity is something we turn on, turn off, but actually tenacity for me is an infinite mindset of, daily practices and habits. Yeah. Especially for a leader and for what I'm asking of managers, because doing some of these new things, really practicing leadership and not always moving into management doesn't check off boxes like you like. Yeah. It is, it is a practice in patience Mm. and, and being about others yeah. And and giving yourself time to just have some blank space. Mm-hmm. And those are things that for many of us, we high achievers. Yep. Actually takes tenacity to do. Yeah. It's fascinating for me because I, I had this dilemma the other day about whether my drive to get habits in place, to have the right energy and purposeful, inspired energy and res- resilient is is driven by a driven achiever piece about you know getting it right or whether it's about getting the energy into the system and i find sometimes my competitive edge gets to it and that gets in the way of curiosity it gets in the way of taking time and space so it's fascinating we could talk for ages laurie and i, I know we could but um could i ask you three questions i'm fascinated sure. by your answers on here so three questions the first one is just one small moment in your life that has had a big impact on your leadership, a scenario, something that happened that's changed the way you lead, what would it be? This seems so like a broken record, but becoming more curious has Mm -hmm. been a major um, being curious of why I do what I do was critical for being able to pivot. Mm -hmm. Being curious about others um, helps me lead in times that are very trying Mm-hmm. Um, so, so learning curiosity and I grew up someone who it was not okay to ask questions. Okay. You know, you don't question authority. So it, yeah. you know, I, I say this almost like, oh, well, this is so easy. Just to ask questions. It, it was a significant thing for me yeah. mm-hmm. to, to do. Interesting. Yeah, no, I r- relate to that. My grandfather is a professor and it was in those days, it was children was seen but not heard. Yeah. So asking questions, curious. When I discovered this older person, I was willing to ask questions. I fought in the First World War and I was able to sit and, at his feet and listen to what he'd done. And those are the people who were attracting me at those days to have the curiosity. Fascinating. Okay. Second question. If you had to dis- disrupt the one thing in leaders today, what would it be? Look at where you're managing. It's probably over 80% mm-hmm. and see where you could replace that with better leadership. Interesting. And just to define what you'd see the difference in there, what's the difference between managing and leadership? Management is managing work. Okay. Leading is building up people and bringing them with you. Love it. Very good. Simple. Can I borrow that? Yeah, I'll take that. That's <laughs> yes, <good>. you may. <laughs> Final one. One leadership habit that's non-negotiable for you specifically that you hold true, the habit you Kindness. 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 Always mm. be kind. You And I don't mean nice. I don't mean um, always trying to please. I mean mm. being kind. It doesn't matter where they are in the organization. It doesn't matter what state they're in. Be kind. I love that. Somebody once said to me, Colin, you need to be more careful, which I rebelled against. And they said, let me frame it around, full of care. How are you full of care? And I love that as that's my definition of kindness. How do, how can mm-hmm. I be full of care to somebody as I go through I love that too. It's good. Laurie, fascinating to to get to talk to you and explore a bit more. And um, But if people want to find out a bit more or get in contact with you, how would they find you? The easiest way is how I call myself the Pivot Catalyst. So if you search for the Pivot Catalyst, you're going to find my website, thepivotcatalyst.com. You'll likely find my books, uh, Pivot to Clarity. Um, the books are under the pivotbook.com. Uh, 
and you'll find my social handles at Pivot Catalyst. So just anybody can spell it. those, just remember those and you will find me. Amazing. It's delight to have you on. Good luck with the uh, the next book. And I'm sure we'll be speaking at some point in the near future. But thank you, Laurie, for taking the time to be on. It was wonderful to talk with you today, Colin. Thank you. My pleasure. Great conversation with Laurie there. I mean, for me, one of the, the things I'm always aware of is that leadership as a subject is massive. And where do you start? And even when I was writing my book and, you know, I look at the feedback I've had in the book, it's been good. But actually one of the things is it's such a lot of information, a lot of things to get across to people. And therefore, for me, it's about breaking these things down. And Laurie obviously talked about how she's writing the books and the series of books to almost make it bite-sized chunks to take on. So I love that she's doing that. And I love the concepts of pivoting and talking about pivot as, as a significant thing. Um, we always say, oh, they didn't pivot well enough. They should have pivoted. But actually to pivot a business and a structure that's significant, um, it's difficult. And I know that from my own experience. To bring people along is even more difficult to do that. So through the power of the will of the leader is is one way, but that's not sustainable. So how do you do that and how do you structure it? And I love the concept also about the decision support that you used in there because there's a piece about coaching I get. And coaching for me is one of the most powerful skills you can use as a leader. But having your advisory board, your decision support, and being able to to get those people trained so they ask the right questions as your decision support so that then you can mutually come up with some decisions, some support, some ideas about how you're going is, is critical to that. And it's, it's a skill, it's a process, it's a habitual piece to get you into uh, a flow as a leader, to be able to adjust to what you have to adjust to in the markets. And at the moment, we're sitting in a market that is, is very volatile. So therefore, the agility of people to pivot it is so massively important at the moment. So hopefully you enjoyed that and uh, look forward to welcoming you into another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast very shortly.